But Genesis 19, we're going to read the first 29 verses. So, we are going to read those. That's a good bit of verses to get us started. But once we go through those first 29 verses, we're really just honing in on Lot this Sunday. Um, After Father's Day, we'll come back to this and we'll look specifically at uh, the wickedness that was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, But... Today we're just looking at Lot and considering how was Lot considered righteous. Our scripture reading came from uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. We read those same verses last Sunday as well. But it says that, that God rescued righteous Lot. And we are given a little bit of insight that his, his soul was being tormented. and uh, So basically there was some anguish within him as he was witnessing the things that were going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. But nevertheless, today we're going to look at some of the stuff that Lot himself said. Um, and we're going to look at him specifically. And At first glance, you might be right there with me. Because there's many times that I read Genesis 19 and I still have that thought in the back of my head. How in the world was this man considered righteous? So keep that in mind. And let's read these first 29 verses and then we'll get into the sermon. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, and so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. This fellow came to sojourn and he has become to us a judge. Now we will deal worse with you. Than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the two men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons in law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to bury his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting or joking. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him 
outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor. Or he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and, uh, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This, by far stretch, this is not one of the stories in Scripture or any other work of literature or anything of that nature. This is not one of those stories where you say, wow, what an uplifting, beautiful story. This is a story of God's judgment. This is a story of great wickedness. Yet it is also a story of God's grace and mercy. It is a story of one who is undeserving and unworthy receiving rescue, receiving redemption, removal out of judgment, removal out of this tragic situation where God is raining down His judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Specifically, if you're familiar with the story and if you were astute as I was reading, you caught on to the fact that the men of the city came to Lot's door and said, where are the two men that came to you tonight, bring them out so that we may know them. And what they are talking about when when they say that we may know them, lest there be any confusion, they have a sexual agenda. In the Old Testament, when someone says that that so-and-so went into his tent and he knew his wife, that's what we're talking about here. Great wickedness. Bring these two men out that we may know them. And Lot insists, do not do this evil to these men. Here's my two daughters that have never known a man. Take them and do with them as you please. Now surely all of us here this morning would say, that is is a very wicked thing to say, a very wicked thing to offer. To offer up your own daughters to men who have a wicked sexual craving. 
you offer up in an effort to seemingly, you say, oh, well, he was trying to protect the, the ones that came to him. But he offers up his two virgin daughters. And so maybe now you're already to the point where you say, okay, well, maybe I've never understood that story completely, but now that, now that we're all on the same page, yeah, how in the world could Lot be considered a righteous man? Now there are some who, I guess in an effort to almost come to Lot's defense, there are some scholars and some, some people who say, well, well, Lot wasn't being serious. He was just trying to throw a distraction out there. Uh, it was a hypothetical. He would have never actually offered up his daughters. The, the issue with that is, we're not told that. What we are told is he said, do not do this wicked to these men. Here's my daughters. Now, here's the thing. We do know this. That didn't satisfy the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. They wanted the two men who went in to Lot's home that night. And they get irate with Lot. And here they come after Lot. And so the two men that were there visiting, uh, remember in the last chapter, there were three who showed up uh, to Abraham. Two of them are now here with Lot. They, they bring him back into his house and they strike the men of the city. They strike them with a blindness. And here's what stands out about that because again, we are getting to Lot. These are the only comments I'm making towards the great wickedness of Sodom. Today, even once they were stricken with blindness, it says they wore themselves out groping for the door. You know what that means? Being stricken with blindness did not stop them from going after what they wanted. Now you would think, your first thought might be, well if I was going after something, if I was pursuing something, and then all of a sudden I went blind... I would kind of get distracted about what I was going after and I would kind of start worrying about the fact that I was blind and I couldn't see anything. Even this blindness did not deter them from going after Lot and ultimately going after the two men that found shelter under Lot's roof. If you want a picture of the depravity of man, if you want a picture of the great wickedness that is within the heart, of these men specifically, look no further. Struck with blindness, yet they wore themselves out groping for the door. It did not deter them from going after what they wanted that night. But now we turn our attention back to Lot, and this is where we're going to keep our attention the rest of the sermon. It did say that Lot was at the gate and, and the comment that was made by the men was this man came to us as a sojourner and now he's a judge over us. But Lot had, maybe we could just say, somewhat of a standing in the community. The people knew who Lot was. He had a spot at the gate. So he had been living in Sodom and Gomorrah for some time now and this is where his, his family was, his wife and his two daughters the two daughters that he offered up to the men of the city who had great wickedness in mind. And so that sets the stage. How in the world is Lot considered righteous? 
one or two more things that I would like to mention about Lot and about this whole situation because as I said, it is a narrative about God's judgment and His wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath against evil and wickedness. We know that at this point, God has already destroyed the world in a flood. There's a rainbow given as a covenant to Noah that He would never again destroy the world with a flood. Here, He's not destroying the world, but He is destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And He destroys them with, with fire and brimstone from heaven. And this is a small encapsulation of what is going to happen at the great day of judgment. We are told later in the New Testament that the world as we know it, this earth is going to melt away with fervent heat. God is going to rain down judgment upon all of creation. And here we have a, a small encapsulation of that in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's great wickedness. And God says, I'm coming to judge the wickedness. I'm coming to judge the evil. I'm destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet even in that, even in God pouring out His wrath and pouring out His judgment, Lot and his family is spared. Much like as God was destroying the world with a flood, Noah and his family is spared. You go all the way back to the garden and God did not destroy the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, but He did banish Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And so there was judgment, there was a penalty, but there was also grace and mercy. Ultimately, the, the reasoning was that they don't need to eat of the tree of life in their fallen state. And so there's protection there, there's mercy and grace there. And so even just through these 19 verses or 19 chapters of Genesis, we've already seen multiple accounts where God can simultaneously rain down judgment and execute mercy and grace. From 2 Peter chapter 2, that's exactly what we read. If God who destroyed the world in a flood but preserved Noah and his family, if God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but spared righteous Lot, if God knows how to do those things, then God can deliver His people from trial and preserve and hold the unrighteous until the day of judgment. God is capable of simultaneously accomplishing these things. And so I do want to point out a couple of instances of mercy and grace here. First and foremost, the, uh, the, two, people say to, the two men say to Him, is there anybody else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, family, get them out. And Lot actually has the opportunity to go to his sons-in-law and say, get out, destruction is coming. Now they thought he was joking, they, they thought he was jesting. But even that is grace and mercy. That those two men had the opportunity to hear that message, destruction is coming, leave, get out, save yourself. That was mercy and grace in their lives. We know that they were they he seemed to be jesting to them. But then we also know that in that narrative it says that when it came time to leave, Lot lingered. Now perhaps he was having a moment of do I really want to leave this place? Do I do I, do I really want to uproot my family? We don't know exactly what was going through his head. Maybe it was just fear at what was about to happen. 
wow, God's really going to destroy this place. What we do know beyond a shadow of doubt is he lingered. But even as he lingered, there's mercy and grace. How? They actually take Lot and his family by the hand and they take them to the edge of the city and say, get out, escape, go to the hills. So even when Lot lingered, they took him by the hand and took him out. That is mercy and grace. And then Lot says, oh no, I can't go to the hills. Please let me just flee to this little city. And that favor is actually granted him. And that city is spared. Zor is spared just because Lot said, please don't make me go to the hills. I'll be overtaken. Let me go here. And so there's mercy and grace in granting that favor as well. So now, I'll say this. Each and every one of us needs to understand something today. Lot is every one of us. Now you say, I would never... I would never offer up my daughters. I don't mean by that that you would have done exactly what Lot did. That is not what I mean. Here's what I mean. Because of what Lot said and offering up his two daughters, I can tell by the looks on y'all's faces this morning, we are all in agreement. We say, Lot did not deserve the mercy and the grace of God that day. What kind of man would do that? That's what I mean when I say Lot is all of us. There is not a one of us who deserves the grace and the mercy of God. Now, if we, if each of us individually, because we might look at this and we say, well, that was probably like Lot's worst day. Or at least one of Lot's worst days. Lot probably didn't want too many people to know what he said. But yet here it is in print for all of us. So consider your worst day. Maybe something that only you and one or two other people know about. And what if that was in print for all to see? Would we not be thinking the same thing about you that we're thinking about Lot right now? Let me put the spotlight on me. I can guarantee you. If you had my worst day... In print for you to read, you'd be thinking about me. Caleb does not deserve the mercy and the grace of God. Caleb deserves judgment. Lot is all of us. If we had the worst of our sins, the worst of our decisions, the worst of our words, the worst of our actions in print for all to read, even if we had to read them for ourselves and say, I did that. That was me. I remember that. But man, I cannot believe I did that. We are all lot. We are all wicked sinners who deserve the judgment of God. We live in a world today. We live in a world today where many people work hard to convince themselves, I'm a good person. One of the hardest truths of Scripture for people to handle, and even professing Christians, 
One of the hardest truths of Scripture for people to swallow is this. There are no good people. We are all wicked, fallen sinners in need of salvation. And to understand that, we have to understand the biblical definition of good. Because I know we live here in the South and we say things like, well, them's good people. That's a good fellow over there. That's a good woman over there. And what we mean by that, of course, is that's an honest person. They don't tell lies. They work hard. They don't cheat people out of their money. They're faithful to their spouse. They've raised their children well. That's a good person. And we mean their manner of living. What I'm talking about, what Scripture talks about is, spiritually speaking, there are no good people. When God stepped back from His creation, and in fact, at each day of creation, when we wrap up those days of creation, what do we read? And God said, it is good. So, so what is God's definition of good? Perfection. There are no good people. There are no good people. Last week we talked a bit about people who will ask the question, well, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? And I talked about really biblically speaking, we ought to flip that on its on, on its head and say, why does why do good things ever happen to bad people? Because we're all bad sinners. So why does God allow good things to happen? I'll share one more way to attack that question today. If you ever hear somebody say, Why do bad things happen to good people? You respond by saying, that only happened once and he volunteered. Now, I did not come up with that. I believe R.C. Sproul is credited with that quote. If you ever hear somebody say, well, if your God is so good or if God is real, then why do bad things happen to good people? Our response as Christians can be, that only happened once and he volunteered. Meaning that Jesus was good. Jesus was perfect. And he volunteered. He gave His life on the cross. And that was a bad thing that happened to a good man. That only happened once and He volunteered. Each and every one of us are lot. We are sinners. We have done wicked things. We have thought wicked things. We have performed wicked acts. It's the truth. And I know that we're tempted to think, I don't like thinking about that stuff and this is so hard to talk about and why is He bringing this up? We have got to own up to it. In and of ourselves, in our flesh, is no good thing. You say, well, I've I've done good things in my life and I try to be a good person. If there is anything good in you, if there is anything good in me, it is not us, but it is Christ in us. Each and every one of us is lot. And we must understand that. So now let's consider this. Let's make a few things clear. And a few things that I think are obvious from the text. Lot certainly, because our question is, how was Lot considered righteous? Well, we can definitely say this. Lot was not considered righteous because of his works. Lot was not considered righteous because of his decisions. He decided to offer up his two daughters. To this mob of men. The 
Biblically speaking, what we know of Lot's life, we cannot even say, well, Lot was considered righteous because of his life of godliness that he lived. Nope. Lot chose, when him and Abram parted, Lot chose to go in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Knowing that the city had a reputation, he chose. Here, we see that, now, one thing Lot did do, he was hospitable to his guest. He did the same thing that that Abraham did when the three men showed up to him. He bowed himself and he said, stay with me. And he prepared a meal. He said that they could stay with him, wash their feet. He provided for them. That's, that's one thing that you can say that Lot actually resembled Abraham here for a brief moment in showing hospitality to his guest. But when we look at the life of Lot, we don't see a lineage of godliness. We don't see a history or a heritage of godliness. So we can't say, well, Lot was considered righteous because of the life that he lived, ultimately. No. Well, So what are we left with? What are we left with? Why was Lot considered righteous? What gives? If his actions, if his actions aren't righteous, if his decisions aren't righteous, if his manner of living is not righteous, why is he called righteous Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2? And why, we have a little insight there. We say, well, his, his soul was being tormented as he watched what was going on there day in and day out. And so even then, a lot of times we will ask a follow-up question. We say, well, if he was being tormented so much, why didn't he just leave? Don't know. Well, if he was being tormented and he didn't leave, didn't that mean that he wasn't being obedient to, to the convictions that God was giving him? I mean... If it was so bad, and he knew it was evil, and he knew it was wicked, why didn't he just leave? I don't know, we're not told. Here's what we are told. Righteous Lot. And those two words paired together, righteous Lot, cannot and will not make sense unless we understand the grace of God. If you're here today and God has declared you righteous, it is not because of your actions. And it is not because of your decisions. And it is not because of your words. And it is not because you've lived such a great godly life. If you are here today and you are considered righteous by God, it is only through faith. And it is only through the grace and the mercy of God that you have been brought to a place of faith and that the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. And so we see it here in the life of Lot. Lot was not considered righteous because of his own righteousness. He was considered righteous through faith. And is that no different than than what we've talked about before, I think, that, I think there's been at least two other sermons where I've really hammered in and, 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 and tried to just cement it in our minds that Abraham was justified through faith. He was justified by faith. And it is no different for us today. We read Romans uh, in Romans chapter 4 that it's no different today. 
Abraham was justified by faith. We are justified by faith. And if we have been justified, then we are declared righteous. And so in this narrative of Lot and the great wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, we actually have a pretty clear picture of the gospel. We know the last thing that happened in chapter 18 was that Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, if there's 50, what if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10 righteous people in that city, will you spare the city? Sodom and Gomorrah has been destroyed. There was not 10 righteous in the city. But Lot and his wife and his daughters were spared. And we're told in verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities that Lot had lived. We are not told when God destroyed the cities, He remembered Lot. And Lot was so righteous that God spared Lot. It's not what we're told. We're told He remembered Abraham. It could be specifically that He remembered those intercessory prayers of Abraham. We know, just by following the story, we know what was really on Abraham's heart there. Abraham knew who was in that city. And he was interceding on Lot's behalf. He didn't want Lot and his family to be overtaken in the judgment and the wrath of God. Yes, it, it, did, it did show Abraham's compassion on the entire city. But we could probably draw a pretty accurate conclusion that Abraham was most concerned with Lot and his family. But also the promises. The promises given to Abraham. That God would bless him and his household. And that he would be the father of a great nation. Lot left with Abraham. Lot is a part of the household of Abraham. Yes, he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But when Abraham got up and left from the land that he grew up in, Lot went with him. So Lot was not considered righteous because of his works, decisions, or a godly life. Lot was considered righteous because of faith. And the prayer of Abraham is to be considered as well as the promises to Abraham. So here's some parallels that I would like to draw. Lot is all of us. God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the city. Lot did not have a righteousness of his own. Lot was a guilty man. Lot was a guilty sinner. What does that have to do with us? We're all Lot. We're all guilty sinners. And just to be real clear on this, and I'm not, I'm not doing this to be lighthearted, I'm being sincere. If there's anybody here struggling, you say, no, 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 I'm a good person. I really am a good person. Scripture says that if we've fallen short in one of the laws, if we've broken one of the laws, one of the commandments, we're guilty of them all. So by a raise of hand or by a nod of your head, how many of us here this morning, you've ever told a lie even once in your life? Okay? We're all guilty. Even if you say, well, that's the only thing I've ever done wrong. Well, that's your second sin. 
for saying that. But here's we don't we don't understand how serious sin is. Even if, even if that was the only thing that you had ever that you had ever ever done wrong, you still deserve the wrath of a holy God. That is the weight and the penalty of sin. Death. We are not good people. We do not have a righteousness of our own. We are no different than Lot. But Lot escaped. So you say, okay, well if we are just like Lot, Lot didn't end up in the judgment. He didn't end up in the destruction. So so what gives? Lot was considered righteous because of faith. And even if that faith was very weak, shallow, even if that faith was was barely existent, we know that he was considered righteous through faith. God remembers Christ. So to be more specific, the Father considers Christ. And He considers Christ our righteousness. God does not look at any of us and say, Now Caleb, there's a righteous man. If God looks at any of us and sees righteousness, he, it would be something more akin to this. Caleb, a wretched sinner. But Caleb is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He is clean. And you could insert yourself there. Any of you could insert yourself. God does not look and say, Kristen, now there's a righteous woman. But through faith and salvation, it is Kristen, a sinner, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The Father considers Christ and considers Him our righteousness. If we have a righteousness, it is a righteousness not our own. God hears the intercessory prayers of Christ and deals justly with all mankind, sparing those that Christ has died for and interceded for. The intercessory prayers of Abraham were heard But Sodom and Gomorrah were still destroyed. Why? Because God is a just God. And in His justice, He rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. But in His mercy, He spared Lot and his family. The Father hears the intercessory prayers of Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Those intercessory prayers are heard, and the Father deals justly with all mankind. The wicked... The evil, the unrepentant sinner will get God's justice. But the repentant sinner for whom Christ died receives mercy and grace. When we are in the thick of sin, at our lowest point, God spares us and He Himself removes us from our sinful plot in life. Perhaps you're familiar with the verse that says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? If you're saved here today, 
you might look back at your life and say, I was such a sinner. I mean, I was living a terrible life. I was, I was at an all-time low. But God saved me. And that salvation for all of us. That salvation for those of you who may be here today and you say, I'm not saved, but I feel a conviction over my sin and I don't want to live this way anymore. And I, I, I don't want to live for the things of the world. I don't want to live in my sin. I don't want to die in my sin. I hear about this mercy and grace of God and, and, and I want to receive that. I hear about this eternal life through Jesus Christ and, and I want to be one of those who are, who are saved and has eternal life. When we are in the thick of sin, even at our lowest point, God's grace and God's mercy reaches out, takes us by the hand, and snatches us out of the flames, so to speak, snatches us out of the city that is to be destroyed, and He saves us. And you say, well, well, what part do we play in that? Belief. Faith. That's it. That's it. Lot lingered. Lot was told, your family's going to be spared. Get up and go. And Lot still lingered. Is it time to go now? I'm not ready to go. There's a couple other things I got to do. What? I got to get this in order. I got to do that. And they took him by the hand and his family and they took them and they set them outside and said, go. And then we're even told, that they told them, we cannot do anything until you're gone. Wow. Judgment was not allowed to be brought until Lot and his family were out of the way, safe, redeemed. Do not miss that. They literally we're not able to do anything until Y'all are out of the way until y'all are gone. You've got to go. Escape. And so it is with all of us. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ were told in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you read Matthew 24, if you read other accounts that we just simply often refer to them as end times accounts, you read Revelation the angels that are at the four corners of the earth, they are told, mark the ones that belong to me. By God, I'm paraphrasing here. But they are told, mark the ones that belong to me. Before you do anything, before judgment comes, mark the ones that belong to me. God's judgment, God's wrath, will not come upon His own. Even when we're in the thick of it, when we're in the midst of it, if we are in the very place where God is going to rain down His judgment, it may have to be us that is taken by the hand and literally placed outside of the city. But His mercy and His grace will prevail. Go now to Romans 8. Keeping in mind that God, the Father, remembers Christ and considers Christ to be our righteousness. And the Father hears the intercessory prayer of Christ and He deals justly with mankind. And 
and He deals justly with the ones for whom Christ died and is now interceding for, we turn our attention to Romans 8, starting in verse 26. Romans 8, starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He he also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God, who is over all of creation, if God who alone has the authority to rain down judgment, and to rain down wrath, and who alone also has the authority to rain down mercy and grace, if God who has all sovereign authority over all creation, if He is for us, who can be against us? Catch the weight of this. If God who is against Sodom and Gomorrah, if God who is about to rain down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah is for Abraham and Lot, then who can be against them? Lot is spared. Sodom and Gomorrah are extinct. If God is for His people, Who can be against us? If God is for Lot, we cannot be against Lot. We can't look at Lot and say, well, I don't like Lot and I don't understand how to... No, if God is for Lot, we better not be against him. Just using him as this character study here. But we continue on. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all... How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You say, right, but Lot deserved to be there. Lot deserved to be in Sodom and Gomorrah and to be wiped out. I can't believe what he did. He deserved to be there and to die. As do we. But here's where the gospel really comes into play and really comes into a clearer focus and I hope we all see this. Lot did deserve to be there. But that wrath that was poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah, that wrath that Lot deserved was poured out on Christ so that Lot could be spared. You say, no, well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't in this. This is Genesis 19. Jesus has not even come to earth yet. But Lot was one of those for whom Christ was going to die. 
So even the sins of Lot were placed upon Christ when He died upon the cross. The judgment and the wrath that should have been poured out upon Lot and his family that day at Sodom and Gomorrah was poured out upon Christ instead. And that is the gospel. The judgment and the wrath of God that should be upon our heads fell upon His. So that we would be free from the wrath of God. So that we would be saved from the wrath of God. And this is why I said it's so important that we've got to understand we are Lot. We are the undeserving, unworthy sinner who deserves the wrath of God. Yet there is safety and refuge to be found in the mercy and grace of God. And as Lot was spared, all those who believe, all those who repent and believe will be saved. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God has justified us, there is no charge to bring against us. So coming back to Lot, even if Satan himself were to stand before God and say, do you not remember what Lot did? Do you not remember when Lot offered up his own two daughters to the mob of men that were outside of his door? Surely this man is not righteous. Surely this man is a guilty sinner. Of course God has not forgotten that. The response for that would be, my wrath towards that sin has already been satisfied in my son. That would be the response from the Father. Of course I remember that. I know that it happened. But that sin has been paid for. Lot has been justified. Lot has been declared righteous. He is one of mine. And so it is with any of us. There's people that are still alive today that I'm sure, I'm sure some of us could say, well, if that person told all of the stuff that they know about me, they could tell some stories that I really wish people didn't know about. But who is there to bring a charge against God's elect? Who is there to bring a charge against God's people? It won't stick. If you say, I wish to be free from my burden of sin. I, I wish to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Then repent. Turn from your sin. And believe. Because there's no charge that will stick to God's people who have been cleansed of their sin. Because Christ has paid the price. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of God? No one or no thing. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And all of these things were more than conquerors. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> Those who are saved are saved indeed. They're saved to the uttermost. Our only hope of salvation is through the righteousness of another. Through the finished work of another. Namely, Jesus Christ. So I don't normally do this. I, I don't hit things heavy at the end of a sermon. I just try to preach the Word of God and let God work. And, but I'm going to make a couple of comments in closing here. We do always sing a song. 
If anybody ever wants to come to the altar, the altar is always open. If anybody ever wants to walk an aisle or pray a prayer, go for it. But here's what I want all of us to understand. This really, you might not have thought about it this way, but as we look at this life of, of Lot and what happened here, this really is a, a gospel presentation. And I want us all to be very clear on something. Because many of us would say, well, I walked an aisle, or I prayed a prayer, or I did this, or I did that. None of us are saved by what we have done, or what we have thought, or what we have acted. It is only through Christ alone. So, salvation is not in humbling ourselves and walking the aisle. It is in Christ who humbled Himself and walked the way of crucifixion. That is where you will find salvation. Salvation is not in our decision to follow Christ. It is in His decision, Christ's decision, to glorify the Father by laying down His life for the redemption of His sheep. That's where you will find salvation. Christ has decided and He has accomplished the laying down of His life for the redemption of God's people. Salvation is not in a prayer that we offer. It is in Christ who prayed that all of those whom the Father had given Him will be with Him in glory. And where He is now currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, offering up prayers of intercession. In short, salvation is found in Christ alone. Salvation is not in anything that we do or accomplish. It is in Christ who has finished His work given to Him by the Father and He has accomplished our salvation. And we are told by Christ Himself, all who believe will be saved. Will you, along with righteous Lot, be spared from the wrath of God? If that is your desire, you say, I want to be like Lot, spared from the wrath of God. Will you be spared along with righteous Lot from the wrath of Almighty God? Turn to Christ and find Him to be that perfect Savior that He is. Let's close in a word of prayer.